going to continue today on our study on 2 Peter. We started this before the New Year's, and then we took a break um, through the holidays. But I want to jump back into our study on 2 Peter, because 2 Peter, it's amazing how relevant he is to today. That what he's talking about, in the, we're, we're in the second chapter of 2 Peter. We've already finished chapter 1. But the second chapter is really dealing with false teachers and false prophets and the issue of lying and deception in that was coming into the church. And if that was coming into the church in A.D. 65, 66, 67, and now we're 2021, if the deception was sneaking in then, how much more is it sneaking in today? And so it's very relevant that we understand and we think about false teachers and how it impacts our lives. So we're going to go through this today and for the next few weeks as well as we continue the study. Now, you've been handed out a paper. There's lots of Bible scriptures I have there. I'm more of a teacher. Pastor Rip is more of a preacher. So today we're going to be talking about freedom. And the title of the message is Freedom of Submission. Sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not, and we'll explain that. Today, typically, when we're talking about freedom, we typically think freedom is something that we fight for, that we have to sacrifice for, because that's how this country was born. America was born not because it was a gift. It was because people went out of their comfort zone to get what we have today called freedom. Pilgrims from coming from uh, Europe. They came because they were suppressed under the uh, European rule and the English rule of the English church, and they wanted uh, political and they wanted religious freedoms. So they left their country, they left their comfort, and they traveled across on the Mayflower and a couple other boats those history people would tell you about, and they landed on where? Plymouth Rock. Thank you. That wasn't in my notes, so thank you. My wife of historian fashion. Uh, give that to me. So they landed, and from that time, it's been a battle ever since for our freedoms. And then we've had many, many wars and so forth, defending our freedom. And that's good, and I thank the Lord for those that have sacrificed their life for the freedoms that we have. But there's a freedom, though, that is much bigger than that. A freedom there that we can have that lasts much longer than what we can get in this life. And that's the freedom that only comes through God. Because God's freedom is eternal, not something that can be taken away. Anything, let me think, let me put it this way. If you fight for freedom like it's a prize, then that same freedom that you've won as a prize for the fight can also be taken away in the same fashion. Because somebody bigger and stronger might come against you and take your prize called freedom. So if we're not, I'm not talking about the freedom that we win here. I'm not talking about the freedom that we that we earn or that we attain on our own efforts. As important as those are, and I know that that's a big fight right now in our, in our political world. There's a f- freedom for our country, and there's, a, there's so much going on around that today. And I'm not diminishing that. At the same time, I'm not, I'm not exemplifying that. I know that God has a bigger plan for America. Yes, I know that he has had his hand on America over the years, and I thank the Lord for that. But what tomorrow holds, I don't know. I will pray for my leaders. But when I pray for my leaders, we're not, the Bible doesn't say that we pray for America. The Bible says we pray for our leaders. 
right? And then we pray that God's will be done in our leaders. It never says God, it never, the Bible doesn't say pray for America to be strong. That's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says we pray for our leadership and that God would honor them and God would lead them. So that's the way we pray. We may not like it. We may see it not going the way we want it to be. And I know that there's a lot of right-wingers out there, and I'm a right-winger, but I don't know if I'm that radical of a right-winger. I don't want to go political here. But I know there's a lot of saying that unless Donald Trump stays president for the next four years, then God isn't taking his hand off America. And I don't know. I'm not making that proclamation. What I'm talking about today is there's a freedom that comes not because we make America our God. There's a freedom that comes from God that cannot be taken away no matter what happens to America. And that's what I want to focus on today. There's a freedom that comes to a prisoner that the bars can't take away his freedom. And that's what I want to focus on today because that's the freedom that can't be lost. That's the freedom that can't be taken away from you. And that comes through submission. That comes through submission. And I want to prove that point to you today. Our text is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19, which is part of the way down through chapter 2. And it says that, Peter says that they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. I'll explain that in a minute. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you help us here. I pray, Lord, that you give us the words to speak and you give us the the hearts to hear and the ears to listen and the eyes to see what's happening in the spiritual realm today because what is happening around us is not necessarily just physical but is so much more spiritual. So I pray that you open our eyes and help us to see what you would have us to see in Jesus' name. Now, more than ever, we need to have this kind of discussion. We need to have this kind of teaching today more than we've ever needed it in the past. Because everything in our social and political world is is tumbling upside down. Right is wrong, wrong is right. And it's difficult to understand, it's difficult to discern what is really true and what's not. So we're going to be talking about that. But before I dive into 2 Peter chapter 2, I want to ask a question. Because the last time we talked about this, I asked specifically that you would go through and read for yourself 2 Peter chapter 2. And don't raise your hands, but did you read it? The, the premise of chapter 2 is talking about God's punishment. God punishes false teachers. And he punishes false prophets. But the important thing that we have to recognize is deception is the tool of the false prophet. Deception with truth, enough truth to make you think it's true, but not enough to go to the full length of the truth. And the devil comes that way. In fact, 2 Corinthians tells us how this is how the devil comes to us most of the time. In, in chapter 11, verses 13 and 15, the Bible says that these people are false prophets and they are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. But Paul says, I'm not surprised by it because even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. 
So it is no wonder that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So false prophets and false teachers, they're the tool of the enemy. He comes into the church, he comes into your life, not as a big, bad um, devil with horns and a red suit and a pitchfork that makes itself obvious. No, he comes in the disguise of truth. Just enough truth to make you listen. But if you're, if you're discerning, you'll find out that there's not the nth level of truth. And that's what we want to talk about. So let's just take a quick summary of the chapter 2. I want to read a couple, first, couple more passages. Second chapter, Second Peter chapter 2, 12 through 14. This is what God thinks of, of false prophets. You can read along with me or you can open up your Bible or you can read on the screen. It says that these false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. They scoff at things they do not understand, and like animals, they will be destroyed. Their destruction is their reward for the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They delight in deception even as they eat with you in your fellowship meals. In other words, they're even in the church. They're eating. They're part of the church. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their desire for sin is never satisfied. They, have, they lure unstable people into sin, and they are well-trained in greed. They live under God's curse. Now, from this, this is just a portion. You can see the anger that God has towards false teachers. Do you know why he does? Well, let me ask you. How do you like it when people lie about you? How do you like it when people speak in your name, but they don't speak truth in what you say? They misalign you. They misinterpret you. They intentionally take and they say things that aren't true about you. How do you feel? (laughs) I wouldn't feel good about it, and I don't feel good about it. I've had a lot of people say things about me over the years that it weren't true. It hurts, doesn't it? Okay, now imagine God's feelings about this. I mean, he's the creator God. He's the rule giver. (laughs) And he's the lover of all people, enough that we've already said it, that he gave Jesus to die for our sin. And now people lie about him? Can't you see a little bit of why God would be angry? Rightly so. Peter goes on to say in verses 18 and 19 of the same chapter 2. It says, They brag about themselves with empty, foolish boasting, with an appeal to twisted sexual desires. They lure back into sin those who have barely escaped from a lifestyle of deception. They, here's the point. They promised freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption, for you are a slave to whatever controls you. And that's what I want to talk about today. I know the enemy is moving with the same strategy that he was moving in Peter's day. He hasn't changed his goal. The enemy's goal is to destroy every living Christian that he can. That's his goal. He is not your friend. I just want you to know that. If you're playing with sin, if you're playing with the devil, I want you to tell, I want to tell you that you're playing with the enemy. And at the end of the day, he is going to laugh at you and he's going to laugh on your grave if you go to your grave in sin. He is not your friend. He is a destructive enemy and he's roaming the world seeking whom he may devour. That's who the devil is. 
And he uses the, the very powerful, negative, and destructive force of untruth in his strategy. And it's not just in the church. It's in every area of our life. Untruth, or said another way, lying, is the most effective form of deception the enemy has to destroy people. And he does that from the inside out. If you're a liar or if you believe a lie, it will destroy you and it will never throw a punch. Because the lie comes from the, comes from the inside. And it won't be long, if you're uh, believing the lies, it won't be long until you're telling the lies yourself. And you'll be believing the lies that you tell. That's just our nature. Now, I read an article in the ARP magazine, and I don't get this magazine. I've never subscribed to it, but it's the AARP. It's for retired folks. I'm not retired, but I'm old enough to be, obviously. And so they send me this article. They send me this magazine. And like I say, it's a pretty, it's a pretty liberal magazine, so I don't, I, I don't su- subscribe to it. But this, ar- this, tr- this, this article caught my attention. It says the truth about lies. And this is not written from a, a spiritual perspective. It's written from a secular perspective. But it's basically trying to warn senior citizens to be careful for scammers because scammers are liars, right? And so they come to you in ways of deceiving you and how they can deceive you. The, a professor named Jeffrey Hancock from the Stanford Social Media Lab conducted a study, and they called it the Deception Consensus Effect. And basically what it says in this article written by Doug Shadell, it says this, that if, if you are a truth teller, you typically expect people to tell you the truth. If you are a liar, you typically ex- people, expect people to tell you lies. You typically expect to be treated by people the way you treat people. So if you're a liar, you can expect to be lied to. It goes to an example here of, of this one older gentleman. He was a professor, retired professor, a smart man. But he had been scammed for over $900,000 over a 10-year period of time. And they said, why did you continue to get scammed? He said, well, because I expected people to tell me the truth. So even educated people can fall. And he says in this article, he says, be aware that there are many different levels of falsehoods operating around you. As you encounter people who are organizations outside of your circle of trust, don't assume they will act with the same ethics and honesty you do. Be skeptical. Look at the culture they come from and grant trust to strangers stingily and carefully. That's wisdom right there from a secular perspective. And I see that in our political world today and I don't want to take the time to go down there but what a shame it is that we can't believe those in authority over us any longer I can remember a day when liars when you got caught in a lie you were shamed you were embarrassed you were shunned because you were a liar and people couldn't trust you anymore do you remember those days I mean guys there this is in our lifetime I'm 62 and I can remember when it was bad to tell a lie. But I look around us today and I see lying as a major way of living today. And I know we've said it jokingly, politicians and lawyers are liars. 
I'm not picking on lawyers. But I am saying the fact that in today's world, it's blatantly obvious that politicians lie to get a vote. And business people lie to get the order. And it seems okay. That's the thing that bothers me. The thing that blows me away is that we will take a lie and rather than dig into the truth and say, no, that's wrong, and we'll take a stand, and we could fight for that, we'll just let it be okay. And we'll just accept lying as a part of life. And then we want freedom. Remember, our, our text says, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin and corruption. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. See, our flesh man wants above all else to be free to choose him for themselves. So if there is a freedom, if they promise a freedom, what do we, cho- what do we want to be free from? Think of that. If they're promising freedom, freedom from what? You see, what makes man different than an animal is that an animal, a dog, a lion, whatever, they do what their instinct tells them. A lion goes out and he kills an antelope. We think, oh, how sad for that antelope. But the lion isn't going out there to kill the antelope because the antelope deserved to die. The lion is, devour, is killing the antelope to eat, to, to exist. That's, that's what he does. That's his instincts to live. So therefore, they can do things that we would consider wrong, but they do it because they have an instinct to live. Whereas men, mankind, we have a, a moral code that's within our choices. We are not limited by our instincts. We have the ability to make a choice, and our choices then have, have moral consequences. And when I choose not to control my instincts or my basic desires or my basic needs, whatever that is, if, is it sexual Is it immorality? Is it drunkenness? Is it all kinds of depravity? If I choose not to take control over that, then I will have the consequences of what that would bring. So we are different than animals because we have a moral choice. Mankind has an unequaled morality that no other living thing has. And that's because we're created in the image of God. That's who we are. Let's not forget that. So we define freedom to say that we can make our own choices and we do not have to be accountable to any person or organization. That's the way our flesh man wants to to define freedom. That I can make my choices and I don't have to account for them. I don't have to tell you. I don't have to account to you. I don't have to give an account to any organization. I'm free to live the way I want to live. And in that definition, in our flesh man, that's freedom. But this wrong definition leads to a wrong conclusion. (laughs) That as long as we're accountable to someone other than ourselves, that in this definition that we're being lied to and we're being held to somebody else's, they want for their good and not for our own. And the only way that we can get the best things in life is to to be our own boss and to be free from someone else or free from submitting to another person. That's the basic instincts. Now, I I watched Apollo 13 this week. Anybody seen that movie? I love that movie. 
I, I've seen it like six times, but I'm still crying, and I'm still, I'm still intense with them. You know, the whole thing has got me and wrapped up in it. But in the process, what I noticed this time was different because in the process, the, the, the three astronauts are coming back to Earth. Now, they know they've got a problem, and, and, and Mission Control has given, given them vectors to get in because they have to hit the Earth's atmosphere at this perfect angle, or they'll bounce off it, or they'll skip off it like a rock off of, a, off of water, or they, if they go in too fast, they'll burn up at such a high rate of speed. So it's a critical angle, like two and a half degrees. In fact, I heard it in the movie, said if, if this is the moon and this is Earth, and that span of time, they have to hit that spot at the width of a piece of paper to get into Earth's atmosphere at the, right, at the right trajectory. Otherwise, they'll burn up or they'll skip off. So pretty serious stuff. Really. So now they're, they're in the capsule, and there's some discussion going on before, are they, right, are they at the right trajectory or not? And the astronauts are now, their lives are at stake. What, ha- what I saw here was some distrust the astronauts weren't sure they could trust mission control, that mission control was giving them the right information because their, ang- their angle may not be right and mission control was afraid to tell them. So these guys were tempted to not trust what mission control was saying and to take their lives into their own hands and they could have changed trajectory according to their calculations were a little bit different than what mission controls were. And they had a choice to make. Am I going to trust the mission control? Or am I going to say they're lying to me? And I was at a point of, what do you guys do? (laughs) Well, they ultimately trusted mission control. Thank the Lord they did because that brought them in. But they had an opportunity to, to say, I don't trust them. So I'm going to take it my own way and I'm going to change my own trajectory just a little bit because I think my calculations are right and theirs are wrong. Thank the Lord they didn't. If they would have adjust, misadjusted themselves, they would have skipped off and they would have been lost in space. Not the Lost in Space show, we know. <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> but Lost in Space. <laughs> so let me, yeah. Danger, danger. So uh, <laughs> I am old. I am old. And I know Petticoats Junction too. But this is how old the enemy is because this is exactly what was happening in the garden. This, was, this is exactly what the serpent was telling Eve in the original sin because Adam and Eve were living free. Did you hear me? They were living free to fulfill every desire that God gave them in the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. I mean, perfect. Perfect. But Satan came along to Eve and said, Eve, did God really say? And all of a sudden, she's throwing in a little temptation here. A temptation that God is not who he says he is. He's holding back on you, Eve. There's so much more out there, Eve, but you're submitting to him and he's holding back from you because he's got more. And if you would just do what I'm telling you to do, you can be like God. And you can, can take control of your life and you can be your own boss, God, and you can be, or Eve, and you can have it all. And God's holding out on you just a little bit, Eve. Don't you know that? That's all that was. It was a deception trying to get her to believe the lie that God wasn't all in for her, even though he had proven it by giving them everything in the garden. Everything. 
Satan was promising Eve a freedom that he couldn't give her. If I wanted to give you a million dollars, I can't give it to you unless I have it. I could write a check. I could write a check for you for a million bucks, Pastor Rip. Here you go. But I'm going to run out of town before you try to cash it. <laughs> right? I can't give what I don't have. The world can't give freedom because it doesn't have it to give. Satan couldn't give freedom, even though they promised, he promised it. He couldn't give it because he didn't have it to give. How many of us today work in the workforce? Most of us do. How many of you have had the temptation to quit, to start your own business, because you saw freedom in being your own boss? Now, I worked in the corporate world for 25, 23 years or so. I worked for Rockwell Automation, then I worked for McNaughton McKay. And, um, and in that time, I was a little bit restless because I was thinking, boy, if I could just be the boss, life would be grand. So in 2005, I did. My dad and I started a business called Elog. And let me just tell you from experience that being the boss is not what it's hyped up to be. When the buck stops with you, let me tell you, it's not all hyped up what it is. Because when you can't pay payroll, and you're the boss, and you're the owner, guess a little bit about the pressure. So we are tempted all the time in our world, and I know I'm running close on time here, folks. I'm sorry. Can I go a little bit late today? Are you going to be okay with me? Because I can't finish up in five minutes. So we have a temptation to want to own the company. We want to have a temptation to say, when I'm the owner, I'm free. But can I tell you what? It's not what it's hyped up to be. Sometimes it's just nicer to get the paycheck and go home and not worry (laughs) about all the things that an owner worries about. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have your own job. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to have that desire. But just know what you're getting into when you get into it. And that's the same steps in our spiritual life. Because when I define true freedom, true spiritual freedom is the result that comes only from me submitting to God that results in eternal life. That is freedom. So freedom comes as a direct result of submission. Freedom comes as a direct result of submission. And this may sound like an oxymoron, but it's not. True freedom comes only when I am 100%, not 98%, not 99.9%. When I'm 100% submitted to Christ, I'm free. What am I free from? I'm free from the guilt of sin. I'm free from the bondage of its consequences. Freedom that lasts forever comes through a submission to Christ. John chapter 8, Jesus says this in in verse 34 through 36. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. 
A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of, of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free. You see, sin is a master, and it's a slave driver master. Because once it has you, it will not release you easily. A slave is not a member of the family. But a son is. Jesus, the Son of God, has the power to set the sinner free. Because the Son is free. And because of his freedom, he can give you your freedom if you submit to him. Freedom comes only through a submission to Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. He says, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. This veil he's talking about was the veil that covered the face of Moses. When Moses came down from, the, from Mount Sinai after delivering the Ten Commandments, Moses put a veil over his face for two reasons. Number one, because his face shone with the glory of God and because he wanted to, he was, I don't know if he was embarrassed or what, but he wanted to cover his face so because he had such a glow of God. And the other reason which is a little bit deceptive, I believe, was that the glow was starting to fade away. And so he put the fail over his face so that people couldn't see the glow fading away. So there's a deception involved a little bit with the, with the veil, right? So let's read on here. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So as that veil of deception or unbelief is removed, we can then see ourselves for who we are. And then we have the opportunity to receive Christ. And the more that I'm like Christ, the more free I am. Because he's freedom. The more I can be like him, the more free I am. Freedom, and res- it results then in us becoming, is one, that, is one that becomes like the freedom giver. If I want to be a free person, I want to be more like the person giving me the freedom. That's Jesus. I remember our text said that they promised freedom. Who's they? The false prophets, the false teachers. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of sin. For you are a slave to whatever controls you. Sin is not freedom. Can I tell you that? Sin is not freedom, meaning that the ability to make my own decisions apart from what God wants me to do is sin. Anything that misses the mark of meeting God's word is sin, whatever it is. And sin is not freedom. This lifestyle of continually missing the mark. Now, we're going to make mistakes. And when you make mistakes, what do you do? You repent. You say, I'm sorry. You don't live in it, thinking that you're going to develop your own level of freedom. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7, Paul says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Did you hear that? We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So Christ gives us not just the ability to get free, but to stay free. So our response then, when we see sin in our life, our response should be a response of repentance. That we say, God, I'm sorry. 
I'm a sinful person and I've made mistakes and I continue to make willful mistakes and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? And with that comes repentance and repentance says, I'm going to turn and go the other direction. I'm going to stop willfully sinning. I'm going to stop that lifestyle of sin and corruption because I'm a slave to it, but your word will set me free from it and I'm going to live free because I'm not going to live in a lifestyle of sin. That's freedom. That's the answer. And that's, that, that actually is day one of salvation. That's day one. I'm going to hurry along here. So what happens next? What happens next? What happens after my day of salvation? What do I do now that I've been set free from the power of sin's control over me? What do I do? Does that mean that I won't be tempted anymore? Is life going to be an easy road now? Well, for those seasoned believers in here, what say you? <laughs> Has it been easy? See, I may be free from sin in the moment of my initial salvation, but how do I walk the rest of my life here on earth? So many times we stop with the initial day of salvation. And we say, I'm saved. Okay, so what? <laughs> I'm saved. I am saved. Thank the Lord I'm saved. But what does he want me to do after that fact? Does this mean that the freedom that I have is that I have no responsibility anymore in my life? Or do I have a responsibility to protect, maintain, and grow that freedom? to be more like Christ. Let's keep reading Romans 6. Romans 6, that same chapter, beginning at verse 12. Paul tells us, he says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. 100% submission. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master. Do you hear that? For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. And this is the amazing part because God's grace will give you the ability not to want to sin anymore. The temptation will still be there, I'm going to tell you that, but you don't have to give in to it because you're not a slave to it anymore. God's grace is the power to live above the sin. God's grace does not give you the ability to keep sinning, keep sinning, keep sinning, and God's grace is going to keep forgiving and keep forgiving and keep forgiving. No, that's not it. That's not freedom. That's walking the tightrope. And, and you, know, you know why I know that's hard? Because I lived it. I grew up that way. I lived walking on the fence. And when you fall off the fence and the fence is a little bit longer than your legs, it hurts. And that's not freedom. That is a form of religion that has no power. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about. That's a whole other sermon. I'm not going there today. But the freedom that gives us the ability to live is God's love. Because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's how he shares his love to us. 
Now, what do I do with that love? I give it right back to him. I share it right back. John chapter 14, it says, if you love me, starting at verse 15, this is how we share our love back to Christ. God has shared his love to us by giving Jesus his son. Now, what's my responsibility to that? I'm giving it back to him, and this is how I do it. If you love me, hear me, what's the Bible say? If you love me, keep my commands. That's what Jesus is saying. That's how you show your love. Verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. It's pretty clear, guys. You want freedom, you want to love God, then you get into God's word, you know what it says, and you live it. You don't try to figure out ways around it. You don't try to figure out how close can I live to the world and still be a Christian. That's not submission, and that's not freedom. That's bondage, because sin is still your master, because you're still playing the game of religion, and there's no power there. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross. He defeated him. But he's still alive. Satan is still alive. Even though he's defeated, he's still alive. And his strategy is to do everything he can to deceive us. And a person deceived is the hardest one to get to. Because if you're deceived, you don't know it. Think about that for a minute. If you're deceived, you don't know it. And if you're not deceived and you still continue to do the things that you know are wrong, then can I just say you're plain stupid? <laughs> I mean, let's just say it for what it is. If, if you know you're living a lifestyle that you shouldn't be living, you could be deceived thinking that you're living right. And that's hard to get through to that person. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what the Holy Spirit's conviction's for. But I'm, I'm afraid that there are people that know better and they're still living in it. There's judgment coming for that person. So as long as the devil's alive, he's out to destroy and the, all of the New Testament writers are consistently saying that, that even though sin is not your master, that you have the opportunity to choose to live in it or not. It's still the choice you have. The power of grace that was talked about in verse 14 of Romans that we just read is talking about the way that we can make sin no longer our slaveholder. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law, but you live under the power of God's grace. Romans chapter 6, continue on with that same chapter, starting at verse 15. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not, Paul says. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And he says, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you are wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly means submission, right? 100% submission. 
but now you wholeheartedly submit, you obey to his teaching that we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. That's what it means to be truly free is to be in submission to Christ. Jackie, would you come please? To be truly free means that you are in submission to Christ. You're not your own person. You were bought with a price. It's this freedom of submission that's the answer to life's biggest challenges. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 21 through 24, Paul speaks to the church in Ephesus. He says, Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off, here you go, listen, this is what we do, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, here's here's what we do, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. That's freedom. That's freedom. There's no bondage here. This is the freedom from lies and deception and the consequences therewith, which is death and eternal punishment. Last passage, Romans chapter 6. Let's finish it up. Romans chapter 6, 22 and 23. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. (laughs) Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Freedom. For the wages of sin is death. Hear that? For the wages of sin, you earn death through wages. But the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what I want. That's what I'm preaching for. That's what I'm teaching for in this church. That's what I want everybody that hears my voice to know that I'm standing for the truth of God's word and nothing less. Wholly submitted, 100% in. I'm not trying it out to see if it fits. I'm jumping in. I'm diving in head first. Come with me. Join me. I know you are. I know many in this church are already doing it. That's the freedom. That's the freedom. And as always, the choice is yours. Who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe mission control? Or are you going to believe the seat of your pants? Are you going to believe the Bible? Or are you going to believe your flesh? The choice is yours. Would you close your eyes with me, please? Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. Oh, Jesus, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving yourself for us. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you do your work in every life that's listening here in this church and everyone that's listening online or wherever they're at. And I pray, Lord, that you would just bring your Holy Spirit's conviction, its direction, and its guidance to our lives right now, that we don't want to be deceived. 
We don't want to be off course. We want to be on the trajectory that leads to heaven. We want to be on that narrow road that comes through that small, narrow gate that only a few find. We don't want to be on that broad, wide road that many are on. So help us right now, right now, right now, Holy Spirit. I just ask for you to lead us. So this morning, as you're sitting here right now with your eyes closed, I just want you to recognize your voice. I, I just want you to think about your life. Evaluate your life. Where are you at today? It's not too late to make a course correction if you need to. But we have no idea what tomorrow holds at the same time. So I encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to convict. Don't resist him. Don't push him away. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Savior today. If you haven't done this before, you can. It's very simple. It begins very simple. And I'm just going to ask you to do a very simple thing. Well, nobody's looking around. This is, this is just about you and the Lord today. But so just recognize that. But if you want Jesus in your life, and maybe he's there, but you want him more in your life, would you just raise your hand to him? and say, Jesus, I want more of you. Maybe you're a sinner. Maybe you really have sinned. And maybe you are on the wrong road and you need to get on the white road. This is how you start. This is the narrow road. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit do the work. Maybe you've been a believer and maybe you've fallen away a little bit. Maybe you've gone your own direction. The same Holy Spirit will bring a conviction to your heart. Maybe it's time to change. What are you going to do today? What's your choice? Jackie, would you lead us in the song that you and Tom are playing? And while they're playing, the song's playing, if, if the Holy Spirit's still working on you, do something about it today. Do something.
Lord, I pray that you have your way today. And every breath that we take, everything that we do, everything that we think, every, every action that we take this week, would you have your way in us today and throughout this week and guard us and protect us. Lord, help us to be more like you, to be more free in the, in the things of God this week, I pray. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Bless your people. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today.